0: and he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement.
1: When we talk about the census fidelium, we talk about the sense of tradition. The census fidelium is that sense of pipe fidelity, that adherence to church teaching based upon what Christ said. And it has to be absolutely relevant today as it was then. When Jesus is speaking, for instance, about marriage, he's very explicit. He's extremely explicit in the definition of marriage and its benefits, obligations, and everything that comes forward. The church maintains that for 20 centuries in an unbroken stream, in a sacrament, in an unbroken stream. And now, of late, we have prelates and others who would tell us either A, that's not what Jesus actually said, B, Well, we've come to understand more, R.C. the church must modernize, all three of which are different forms of heresy, different forms of modernism, relativism, that which we seek to change the words of the gospel, reconfigure Christ to a person and a dialogue that is unrecognizable in the census fidelium, that is unrecognizable in the stream of tradition, And what has been brought forth. The events of today. Are just as subject to Christ. And the gospel. As the events of his day. For instance. Jesus. The mass is a perpetuation. Of the sacrifice at Calvary. Jesus goes to the pillar every day. Jesus goes to the cross every day. Jesus goes to the garden every evening, and it starts over again. In the evening, at our examination of conscience, is us in the garden, examining what are my sins of the intellect? Where did I turn away from the Father today? When did I avert my gaze from the suffering that was offered me? When did I turn away from our Lord as he offered me the opportunity to suffer with him and offer this up? Where was I? That is the benefit of the examination of conscience every evening, which has been done since first century. This has been this conviction of those who would follow Christ, the disciple. The root word of disciple is discipline. Jesus is the, the for, foremost comp- proponent of this concept of there is no such thing as a, quote, workaround. Meaning, He doesn't compromise. When the rich young man is across from Jesus and Jesus tells him, then you must go and sell everything and give it to the poor. He's telling him, you must be rid of this attachment, how you see yourself. You must be rid of this if you're to gain eternal life. The rich young man goes away. The parable ends there. We don't know. If he went and sold it all and came back. We don't know if it took him years. We don't know. Because he is us. We are he. When Jesus looks at us. Over that sacred heart. That heart aflame for us. That heart pierced for us. When he captures your gaze with those eyes. And he looks at you. And he says. Do you love me? He's speaking to Peter. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to all of us with his eyes. Do you love me? Then die with me. With me for the salvation of souls. One of the things that we have a hard time grasping is God himself deigned that you should be alive this time and in this time. God chooses the very conception to send your soul. God does nothing random. The God of order, the God that brought cosmos out of chaos, the God that rules the universe does nothing randomly. Ergo, he sent your soul precisely to the conception that it was needed to the gender, the ethnicity, the family, the culture. He chose that. He chose that. Why? God's will always and everywhere is union. The union of creature and creator. Once that's fractured in the fall, once that union is broken by sin, now His will continues down the same path, the desire for union, And he offers us reconciliation. So much does he want union with us. That the creator be unified with the creature. That no matter what we have done, we may be reconciled through confession and penance with him. But it's the understanding that he sent your soul to the location, the time, the place, the ethnicity, the gender precisely where it would have the most salvific potential. He sends each one of us as he sent Christ, sent in the fullness of a time born of a woman to participate in the economy of salvation by joining our life experience to the Christ, by joining our life experience to he who came to live and die for us. That's the very purpose. That is the very mission that each of us were charged with. And one of the first things that the adversary says is, you were born into the wrong gender, the wrong family, the wrong time. These people don't understand you. If we believe that, if we bite on that, then we're hooked. And the demon will lead us around by the nose from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure, from self-justification to self-justification. And God is, in fact, not almighty. If we hear things like, God didn't intend or God made a mistake, He simply does not make them. We do. When we fail to embrace this mission of salvation, when we fail to embrace this human experience, then we step outside the census fidelium. We step outside blessing. We raise up an obex or an impediment To grace that flows through joining our life to Christ. All grace flows through Calvary. Every single drop of grace flows through Calvary. To the extent that we are conformed to the sacrifice of the Christ. To the extent that we participate in it with no reservation. Nothing held back for us. No questioning of God. To the extent that we participate in that. Is the extent to which we participate in the grace that was wrought and fought and bought right there on that hill. It is nothing short of that. So every time we seek to escape suffering, every time we seek to escape or take the easy route or self-justify or engage in that practice we know is not right, we turn away from our Lord who looks at us and says do you love me do you love me we speak louder with our actions than we do with our words what do our actions say when the man promises to be a a priest when the man promises to be a husband The vows are different but the same. Listen to them. In spousal union, we lose our own identity. For better, for worse, and richer and poorer, in poverty, purity, chastity. All of these things we're pledging to God. To God. We're pledging them. So it is no longer me. It is no longer I. But my wife has a claim on my flesh. Christ has a claim on the flesh of the priest. And when he is ordained in his hands, the priest's hands are consecrated. They are a sacramental. One of the things that he's charged with is the preservation of the sacred, which is his own body. One of the things I'm charged with as a married man is the preservation of my own body, the preservation of my corpus, to keep it pure and healthy to the extent that I can for the benefit of the vocation, to perfect my sacrifice to God through the vocation of marriage, for the priest to perfect his sacrifice to God through the vocation of priesthood, he must remain pure. He must, because it is is his sacrifice which will be marred by his own action, by his own diminishment. We must pray for our priest and for our men, especially in this time, because it is the patriarchy, it is masculinity, in the right ordering of masculinity, patriarchy, that leads to God the Father that is being attacked. It is being subtly attacked in the same way that it's always being attacked. And that is, if the man does not do his job to suit the woman or to suit the critic, then someone is justified to step forward and do the job. Because in their way of thinking, in that twisted logic, it is more important That the job be done, then the role be honored. Listen to the language. When Peter makes the mistake at Caesarea Philippi and says, oh, no, not you, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus does not say, "Okay, Peter, give me the keys. Because of that bonehead statement, because of that satanic statement, you're no longer fit for the keys of heaven. He does not say that. We must understand that merit and authority are not synonymous. One does not rise to authority by merit. One rises to authority because God so deigns it. Jesus speaking to Pilate, the power you have over me is given by my Father. Listen to it. When is the last time we pray for our benefactors knowing that grace flows through them? We must pray for these churchmen. These prelates and those in the hierarchy, our bishops, we must pray for them to be absolutely positively convicted to do the right thing so that they may become fonts of grace, ultimately of which we are the beneficiary. All the self-serving and political prelates, all the self-serving and political priests, bishops, cardinals, and so forth, all of them who are politically motivated to the exclusion of of the spiritual goods. They're more concerned with the temporal goods of the church than the spiritual goods of the church. To the neglect of the spiritual goods, please speak to them. Don't sign petitions. Speak to them. Pick up the phone. Write your own postcard. Find them after Mass. Find them every place you can find them and say, please, please, Father, come home. Come roam. Come back to your sheep. Come back to your flock. Join your life to Christ. That is the census fidelium, is this understanding that suffering is salvific, that the coin of the realm and the kingdom of God is suffering. The willingness to suffer in reparation, the Blessed Mother's words at Fatima, to suffer in reparation for those who cannot or will not. To suffer, in fact, for your very enemies. To suffer so that grace pervades the world, so that it pervades the universe. To open all the nooks and crannies, all of the little places, all of those fissures. Open them to grace so that God's grace permeates and revitalizes creation. So that the church is absolutely purified through this horrific event so that we get down to the living blood, so that the wound may heal from the inside out. To remove the contagion of deviant practice, of homosexuality, of heretical teaching, of all of those practices, the physical and the spiritual practices, have to be removed from the wound, or it will not heal. It will simply be festered to... It will be sealed over to fester for another 500 years. We have to get to the living blood. We have to pray that our prelates, our bishops, our priests, all the hierarchy, do the right thing. To examine themselves and to say, am I contagion or salve? Am I part of the problem? If so, I'll remove myself and go about reparation. What does that look like? We need to pray that they be convicted of conscience, in their own conscience, to do the right thing. It is never too late to do the right thing. I would urge you to consider going to the monasteries which are empty because of your deviant practices. Go to the monasteries which are empty, because of the heretical teaching. Go to the monasteries. Fill them. And live your life in reparation. No conferences will you give. No seminars will you speak. No books will you write. Pray. Pray in reparation. Pray in quiet reparation. For the healing of the church. For the preservation of the church. For the preservation of the of the faith for the preservation of that which God willed and deigned which is that his church shall prevail this is very very strong to step into obscurity to step out of the light to step out of the politics to step out of that and the adversary is going to whisper to you you can make a difference you're doing so much good how many souls have you saved Many souls. Jesus has a thirst for souls. How many souls does your politics save? This is about souls. It's not about temporal distraction. It's not about politics. Please come home, fathers. Please come roam, fathers. Remember who you are. Remember. I am a son calling you back to a broken marriage that you've abandoned. I am calling you back to do what you promised to do. To live your vocation in spousal union by joining your sacrifice and your suffering to the Christ. To lead our souls to Him. It's about sanctification, not about satisfaction. Fathers, I implore you, as I will on every episode of these talks, Please, come home, come Rome, come back to vocation. Come back to the family you have left. Come back to the flock.
0: Kyle Dory has a question. I
2: just wanted to make a comment on some of the things that hit me personally. And the one was when you spoke about God not doing anything randomly, that he puts us in our, the family that we're born in, even into our gender and our ethnicity and everything. And I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before. And I've always sort of stumbled in my own life about, you know, what my purpose was, what am I doing here? I just sort of felt like a leaf blowing, you know, being pushed along in a stream. <laughs> a a rain stream when it goes down the you know the gutter there you know (laughs) and so that really hit home for me i thought wow i do have a purpose this was everything in my life is specifically designed and chosen by god and that was for me a a big help because i watched that movie about abraham lincoln where he asked those two young men in the in the uh, telegraph office he says do you think we are suited to the times we are born in and what you just said tells me that yes we are each individual person is equipped and was specifically put in that place by God everything about him you know is everything about us was chosen totally you know by God maybe even the color of our hair and our eyes who knows you know I mean he he has a reason and so that makes me feel a lot better um And also the part where you spoke about suffering, and when do we turn away from Christ, that really hit me too, because I have to think how many times, I mean, who's not afraid of suffering? (laughs) You know, I mean, I was terrified when I had to go in and have my babies. I was afraid of the labor that I was going to face. The way you spoke about it made me feel a little more determined to not be so frightened and to trust Jesus a little more and just... Hold on to his hand, because I, I do feel like I'm always ducking a lot. You know what I mean? Ducking those uh, slings and arrows and to offer that all up. Um, I also liked once again, how beautifully you put it when you called out to our, our prelates, our priests, our bishops, that you called them back like Hosea in the Bible. Come back to me with all your heart. Brought tears to my eyes. I thought, what a beautiful way to put it. It wasn't condemnatory. You were just real heartfelt asking them, please come back. Your sheep need you. (laughs) So other than that, I don't think I have any specific
0: question. Those were just my comments. (laughs) You were mentioning the priests coming back. Kyle, I'm just wondering about La Salette and Rosa Mystica, how the Blessed Mother would weep over seeing her son betrayed by priests and those that he most counted on and deserting him.
1: Uh, She saw it all right right there on that Friday. She saw all but John leave her. And it's a beautiful beautiful reflection because there are three people at the foot of the cross. There's the Blessed Mother who's going to experience it totally different than anyone else because of her perfected nature, because of her sinless state. Then there is St. Mary Magdalene And then there is St. John. St. John experiences it in a pure manner because he's pure. He's a virgin. And he looks upon his friend praying for his courage. He doesn't question. I think that's one of the, the aspects of purity. One of the aspects of chastity and virginity especially is the not questioning the virgin is able to be docile in a, in a totally different way because the intellect is pure, as well as the body. And those two things are joined. It's very interesting. It's this absolute support of the Christ, even though it pains him. Mary Magdalene, on the other hand, she is experiencing the the, the sacrifice of the Christ from the standpoint of What does this mean to me? He who saved me, he who protected me is now dying. What does this mean to me? Everything for Mary Magdalene was first corporal, spiritual, second. For the Blessed Mother and for John, it's all spiritual to the almost negation, overshadowing of the corporal or the, the temporal, the flesh. Mary Magdalene is the other way. She lived a fleshly existence. She had carnal knowledge of men. So her her love is a very carnal love. And so this is one of the reasons she does not recognize the risen Christ. Is She does not recognize the risen Christ in spiritual form because she's looking for the corporal form. She's looking for the flesh form. It's one of the reasons she mistakes him for the gardener. She's aware of the presence, but she's not recognizing him. And so I think this helps us to understand when we join our suffering to Christ, the first that we join, and in right order, is not the physical aspect of the suffering. It is the intellectual, the mental aspect that, God, you have deigned that humanity suffer in this way as a result of our sin. It is our sin that brings this about. Truly, truly, I am to suffer because I am human. Truly, I'm to join it to Christ. Then we offer the physical aspect of it. I think that when we often disorder it, we feel the physical aspect of pain and aging. And then we want to offer that. But there has to be that spiritual component, the realization of its necessity, the love of God in it, the absolute giving thanks to God for the opportunity to bear that which another human cannot or will not the opportunity to join it to Christ. And so I think that to properly order suffering to the suffering of the Christ, we must first do it in the spiritual sense before we can do it in the physical sense.
0: You know, that whole sense of heroics, is almost completely lost in our culture. You look back in the old movies and you have the guy that would die for the woman. This whole spirit of self-sacrifice, has it just gone by the wayside? So, (laughs) Dari's nodding.
1: The me generation.
0: It's almost anathema today. It's very
1: interesting. You can capture it almost in a single statement. The true value, the spiritual value, is in how you die, not how you live. How you live has importance, and it helps you prepare to die. But look at Uh martyr. Look at he's been years or in a single moment of grace prepared for death. But either way... His eternal state is fixed in the methodology and the disposition of his soul to his death. This is the second part of the Hail Mary. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. It is the hour of our death when we are most vulnerable. If we have not lived a life, if we have not followed him all our yeah. life, then how can we expect him to be doing to do that in this moment, to act out of character? The character to die well is built throughout a life of living well.
0: You know, I was just looking at that scriptural passage that said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save it. But then there's a follow-up to that, which said, my words will condemn you. Now, that's totally different than when I hear it taken out of context in sermons on Sunday where it's made to sound like it's a fait accompli that Jesus is just going to save us regardless of our behavior.
1: And that captures the census fidelium because the census fidelium is what did he say and what has the church always said he said. It has to continue. You can't take and pick. This is why the Jesus of the Protestants is absolutely unrecognizable to the Faith built Catholic.
0: And also when we leave it up to our, the expression, what would Jesus do? As if whatever we think are of today, what we, we're reducing Jesus to what we happen to think that his personality, oh, Jesus loved everybody and everything was right. You know, we've created this caricature and then his words are just so hard. I'm just baffled every time I hear the readings on Sunday, how many times he warns us about the gate being narrow. Gehenna. I mean, he's very jarring in his, his prophecy
2: to us. He doesn't mince words, does he?
0: <laughs> he says it right out.
2: He tells it like it is. Yes, I, I was going to comment on that too, Father's homily today about people always saying, what would Jesus do? He says, if you want to know what Jesus would do, look in the Bible and read his words. <laughs> it's right there. It's not what you think he would do. It's what he says in the Bible.
0: The words are there. Well, Kyle is the music that's telling us that's all the time that we have left. Thank you for a wonderful show, and God bless you.
2: Thank you, Kyle. All right, very good.
0: You have been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at WSFICatholicRadio.org.
3: Salve Regina, Mata misericordiae, Pisa dulce do, spes nostra salve. Ate clamamus, Exules Filii ebe, at Jesu speramus, gementes flentes in aqua vale. Ega ergo ad nostra, nostræ idoschios misericordes oculos, Hard nos combat, et yes, benedictum, No peace, for stock exceeding, most O. Clemens, o-